Hello, constant listener. I think you'll agree with me when I say that what scares people has evolved over centuries. I mean, just as a short example, have you ever seen old scary films? Creature of the Black Lagoon, Phantom of the Opera, Nosferatu? They were from a golden era in Hollywood, just beginning to learn the new craft in film. They were meant to capture an audience's anxiety, to shock them, and most importantly, to take an uneasiness home with them. It worked, too. During this era, Universal Studios had made such a killing from Todd Browning's Dracula in 1931, they approached the director again and said, you do another horror film immediately, whatever horror project you want. Todd Browning pondered this and finally went to Irving Thalberg, he was the who's who of Hollywood producers in the 1930s, and placed a short story on his desk titled Spurs. I won't go into too much detail of the short story, but at its core, it was about a twisted union between an average-sized woman and a male midget. You see, Todd Browning, before he came to Hollywood, did carnival barking in his teenage years. You know, the guy that stands on the box and says, Come on down, folks, don't be shy. Step on up, step on up my tent for the most amazing wonders to show you. And what lay beyond, if you pay that nickel in that bucket, sir, you will not regret it. I'll tell you about a man so thin, he's only a skeleton. Yes, sir, yes, sir. Step right on up, give me that nickel. Todd lived amongst the freaks at the carnival there as he did the barking. He noticed a social distinction between regular people and the freaks who both worked at the carnival and how they interacted backstage. Back then, they didn't socialize. Freaks were either beloved by some or kicked down by others because they weren't seen as an entire human. I know, gross, but you can't really compare today's politics to what it was almost a hundred years ago. So in 1931, when Universal gave Todd Browning full creative control for a new horror project, he was adamant about a horror film that only focused on the backstage life of a carnival and the examination of human spirit and for us, the audience, to judge who here is the real monster. The film was titled Freaks and released in 1932 as a talkie with full sound and music. Much as I love all of this film, there's one scene in particular I'll recount for you. You may actually recognize its most famous quote. One of us, one of us. Does that sound familiar? I'm pretty sure you've heard it, but allow me to give you the context of what that means. The plot of Freaks involves a gorgeous, tall, blonde woman who performs at the ring in the carnival. She's an aerialist, gorgeous, and beloved by many. She finds out that one of the midgets that she likes to tease sometimes secretly has come into a major inheritance. The carnival strongman and the blonde woman concoct a plan to have her marry the midget and then kill him to obtain the full bank. Here now we stumble upon the scene I want to tell you about. The wedding feast. A large, long table is laid out with a simple tablecloth, fold-out wooden chairs grabbed from the popcorn gallery in a big top tent. Plateware and silverware, each chair is occupied by the carnival's freaks, dressed in their Sunday best. At the head of the table is her midget groom and his now, quote, large woman wife. Music of horns and clarinets play from the Siamese twins, while another carnival member dances on the table for everyone's entertainment. Both the strongman and the bride sitting near one another have become exceedingly drunk and laughing hysterically at the whole scenario. In a moment of jest, they turn to one another in a passionate kiss in front of the midget groom. 
Just then, another midget steps onto the table. He raises his hands joyfully, making a speech to indoctrinate the bride into the freak's circle of friendship, and offers to make a toast to her with a loving cup. He brings forth a gigantic champagne glass, of which they pour an entire bottle into. As he holds the large glass with both hands, he proceeds to cheerfully chant, One of us, one of us. The chorus grows with all the freaks at the table happily sing-songing the phrase as the champagne glass was passed around and taken a sip of. Their hands begin to beat with the chant on the table. At last, the champagne glasses reaches the bride, the banging on the beat of the table with the sound of one of us, one of us, we accept her, we accept her, grows as she backs away from all of them in loathing. She grabs the champagne glass and screams, you Dirty, slimy, freaks, freaks, get out of here. She throws the champagne in the face of the midget who proposed the toast. They all stare at her in shock. The strongman stupidly laughs in a drunk manner and shouts, You heard her, get out, and laughs again. Quietly, all of the freaks leave the table as the bride continues to berate them as they walk away. The midget groom is angry and sitting quietly at a now empty table. The bride talks down to him from her full height, asking him what is he going to do about it. Is he a man or a baby? Then proceeds to talk to him like a child and laughingly asks him if he'd like a horsey ride. Without his permission, the groom midget is picked up by the strongman and placed on the bride's shoulders. She dances and screams around the table pretending to be a horse. The groom buries his face in his hands while bouncing on her shoulders in tears and utter shame. The first time I saw that scene, I cried. I was truly horrified. From what I've just described to you, I hope you were too. It wasn't your mama's boo gotcha scare. This was something deep and disturbing, something I felt in the pit of my stomach. The rest of America felt it too. In fact, Universal had to put out a national apology for releasing the film to the public. There were outcries stating to display freaks like that on a screen was too gruesome to look at and should come with a warning. The ending was violent and that many religious institutions rallied against the film. The objections didn't come from just the subject matter of inhuman acts, but focused on exposing freaks in a public theater. That wasn't appropriate to show. Sadly, the film Freaks was re-edited down to be less scary at the climax. And Universal added an alternate ending to make it more happy. But the damage was done. It had frightened America so badly that Todd Browning seldom worked in Hollywood again. He died without much recognition, and the original ending to Freaks is now forever lost to us. It wasn't until a film festival in the 1960s a revived old reel of Freaks was found. It became a smash hit. The audience was more accepting of the ideas that Todd Browning wanted to show. The modern audiences weren't frightened of looking at Freaks on a screen, but fascinated with the twist that the real Freak on screen was the murderous, beautiful woman. Even now, those themes carry into modern times. The television show American Horror Story Season 4 took a lot of themes from this very film. Social needs change, and likewise, our outlook on horror changes with it. In 50 years' time, 
people will look at critically acclaimed scare films like Scream, Saw, or The Ring with a skeptical eye, because it won't resonate with their expectation of horror. This will evolve, and where it leads to is up to us, and what scares us most. I'm Tasha Wheelhouse, and this is Copper Shock. Have you ever used the app Airbnb? It's a pretty neat app. It'll show really simple places that you can go for a vacation. For those from Utah, the 24th of July is a big state holiday. It's called Pioneer Day, where we have fireworks, parades, three-legged races in the park, and a watermelon eating contest occasionally. My whole family wanted to go out for the reunion during Pioneer Day, and we were looking for somewhere to go. I saw a listing that I thought would be absolutely awesome. It stated, traditional Victorian home. It was also a historical home for the town's mayor back in 1889. It boasted six bedrooms, a kitchen, two bathrooms, a main grand room, and a fairly simple family room. To boot, the yard was enormous, with large old trees and traditional rope swing. It was nicknamed the manor. Well, for all 16 of my family to stay in one place, this was perfect. I checked out the price and smiled. In a hurry, we checked the availability and saw it was open during Pioneer Day. As we just had a heat wave roll through Salt Lake City, I was looking forward for some of the cooler, clear mountain air. After pulling in, we took a right at the only stoplight, then followed the simple road for a few minutes. There, resting on a large plot of grass, was a blue-gray home, trimmed in white. Grand trees surrounded it, and the edge of the grass was fenced in by an iron gate. Soon as we walked in the door, there were instructions, tidily sitting on a coffee table for us, welcoming our stay and to lay down the house rules. No shoes in the house. Enter from the laundry room door and remove shoes before going onto the carpet or wood floors. No banging or hanging onto doors. They're quite old, and some of the door handle hardware is original from the 1800s. No children allowed in the main grand room. All told, the house looked like an old granny's dream mansion. The carpet was a coral pink. The walls were covered in elaborate floral wallpaper, floors lined with tall baseboards. I walked into the grand room and looked up. The ceilings were about 20 feet high. Two chandeliers tidily hung from ceiling candle molds. One quick look around the room instantly told me why kids were not allowed here. Everything, and I mean everything, looked breakable. A cabinet of old antique books sat near a glass case full of the most impressive collection of handbells I'd ever seen, if such a thing can really be called impressive. Beyond that was a gigantic window that showed the front lawn and the rope swing in the tree. It looked like the perfect Victorian reading nook. As I continued to walk through, I did notice something rather peculiar about the layout of this house. I mean, very unnatural from modern home designs. I guess one would never even notice it until they were in a house that didn't have it. This house didn't have any direct hallways. There were small passages of hallways between rooms, and other rooms with linking doors to other places, but to get to the stairs you had to go through the main grand room or walk through another bedroom. Looking up, the stairs were incredibly steep. The walls were so narrow only one person could walk up or down them. At the foot of the stairs was a door with a long window covered in a lace shading. At the top of the long staircase was a big window with a lot of natural light shining through. A bustle of kids ran past me, giggling and tagging one another. They ran up the stairwell to try and claim their room upstairs. 
I saw my little niece. She's about eight months old, and she was beginning to climb the stair steps. I smiled at myself. She was tiny, but desperately wanted to keep up with the older kids. My sister-in-law was watching over her. She stood behind her, making sure that the baby wouldn't fall back. My dad leaned in from the doorframe of the main grand room and said, Ah, yes, the original baby gate, an actual door. He then laughed at his own dad joke and walked away. He is right, though. We should try and keep it closed for the baby. My sister-in-law commented to me. The rest of the day was met with family hugs, barbecues, and town festivities. I love this old small town. It's the sort of place where neon signs from the 60s were still being used on Main Street. That evening, my husband and I were winding down and unpacking for the night. I crawled into the sheets, closed my eyes, and let my mind wander. I felt myself getting drowsy. My drifted thoughts actually turned to old nightmares I remembered having as a child here in the same very little town. My family had come here for this exact sort of tradition for more than 30 years. When I was a six-year-old kid, my granddad had an RV, so when we visited for Pioneer Day, our family would sleep in that, before, you know, all of us grew up and got our own families. I was so small that I slept on the seat rest by the kitchen in the RV. At the top of the kitchen was a small, innocuous red light on a smoke detector. During the day, it's basically invisible. But when everything else in the cabin went dark, that small red bulb cast a menacing sheen of blood red over everything. The walls, the floor, the chrome on the tiny kitchen sink. It made it easy to imagine that a figure could be just beyond it, up the hall to the back bedroom my parents slept in. I was still young enough to wander to my parents' room when I had a nightmare, but old enough to try and deal with it myself. I couldn't help but squint my eyes into the darkness. In a small cramped space like this, there'd be no hope for turning on a lamp without waking my entire family. My big brother and younger brother shared the loft bed above the driving pit, and my sister folded out the driving chairs into a makeshift bed for herself. I could hear all of my siblings breathing, but something else caught my ear. There was more breathing coming from the darkened hallway just beyond the red smoke detector light. I felt my little heart quicken. Deep inside my child mind, I had such conviction that the menacing red light's presence only served to invite bad spirits to my RV. That white light from a lamp would chase it away. The red light was attracting the closet monster to me. I could feel it. I can't tell you where I got the notion, but my six-year-old brain was determined it was a mummy. Bandaged, wrapped, walking dead Egyptian mummy. I began to sweat under my little mermaid sleeping bag. This was it. Certain death for my whole family in this road vehicle, all because no one would understand why I'd turn on a light to save myself and save us all from the mummy attracted to the red light in the smoke detector. Instead, I did the next bravest thing I could think of. I stood up from my sleeping bag and faced the red-tinted hallway that faded into black. One step forward, then listened and waited for the possible mummy in the dark to jump out at me 
and stop me from calling to my parents. No noise. I took another step, waiting. It had to have been my imagination or simply the shifting of my weight in the vehicle, but I heard a clicking noise in the cab. I held my breath and daintily ran forward so as not to stomp my feet and make noise. My hand reached out in the darkness and I felt the cheap, light, wooden door that's built into so many trailer homes and was so grateful. I knocked, then opened my parents' door. My dad rolled over. He had a thick beard and a full head of dark hair. He looked at little six-year-old me. Dasha, what are you doing up? Dad, I'm worried a mommy is going to get in the RV. There was a noticeable stunned silence from my dad and my mom at such a suggestion. But I stood my ground, waiting for their response. Then my dad did something I'm never going to forget. He raised his hands and danced his fingers in the air. He said such babble out loud into the air that my mother looked over at him very confused. Same as me. What does that mean? And then with absolute serious, my father says, It's a curse to keep the mummy away, honey. Oh, I said. Then, fully satisfied that I had reported the potential monster to the proper authorities, and they, having taken care of it, I could go back to my Little Mermaid sleeping bag and go asleep till morning. I woke up to the pitch-black Victorian house. Six-year-old me in my dreams evaporated away, and thirty-year-old me next to my husband came back as my current reality. There was a creaking of the staircase, just outside the door to the narrow passageway. I sat up, and my husband reached out to my back. He himself still half asleep, but awake enough to try and ask me what's wrong. I whispered for him to go back to sleep. I saw his head nod, then turn over in bed. I stood up, deciding that since I was now up, I needed to go to the bathroom. The only two bathrooms were downstairs anyway. So I hugged my arms around my body as I opened the bedroom door at the top of the stairs. The hall staircase was amazingly pretty. The large window at the top staircase flooded the area in moonlight. I could see my shadow cast down the pink carpet as I walked my way down. The bottom staircase door was open, so I quietly slipped through it and made a mental note to close it behind me when going back to bed. It's kind of loud when you shut it, and my parents' bedroom was right next to that door, so I really only wanted to mess with it one time. I wandered through the grand room into the kitchen, and eventually it brought me to the bathroom. I did my business and started to tiptoe back to the staircase through the interjoining rooms. I reached the foot of the stairs, then stopped. The stair door was closed. I could see a vignette of moonlight pouring in from the top of the stairs through the glass door covered in lace. I could have sworn I left it open. I started to reach for the door handle, then heard a giggle and a bump from the grand room. I leaned into the main grand room and whispered, Hello? Hey guys, it's time for bed, don't you agree? Silence greeted me. I took a moment, 
waiting for the giggling niece or nephew out of bed to crack and start laughing again. But no laugh came. I became uncomfortable with the silence and then took a step inside the room. Hello? Hello? A wave of a thin shadow blinked over my face. I looked over to the light source and saw that the rope swing outside the window was swaying back and forth. It would have been natural if the tree holding it was also swaying in the wind too, but it was... No leaves were moving. I guess I just didn't even think about that detail until later, but no, the leaves were not moving. Kids? I walked through the darkened grand room to the other side, then tiptoed over to the far living room. I stood there in silent confusion. They were sleeping there, quietly on the floor. Only, instead of Little Mermaid, like when I was a kid, they now had Elsa and Anna smiling happily outward from their sleeping bags. I felt my face muscles scrunch together in utter confusion. I counted. All the nieces and nephews were there, and I could tell they were all fast asleep. I started to back away from them, not wanting to wake them up by accident. I could have just imagined it, of course. With a light pad foot, I walked about the grand room once more to get to the glass door at the bottom of the stairway. I rounded the wall divide. There was a red sheen on me. I looked up and in the corner of the ceiling sat a smoke detector. When I looked at the top of the stairs, there stood a woman. Her hair wrapped up into a tight bun at the top of her head. Her back faced the moonlit window, so I really couldn't see her face only her obscured outline. Her dress had puff sleeves with arm lengths that reached over to her wrists. The color of the fabric looked to be a kind of simple maroon. I held my breath. This couldn't be happening. I even blinked hard a few times in desperation. That's what you're supposed to do when you're having sleep paralysis. The problem was I wasn't paralyzed in my bed. I was standing awake for the last seven minutes walking around the house. An airy, chopping sound came from behind the door in the stairway, as if the figure was commanding the wind conjured inside the house. It raised its arms from their side and extended her hands all the way into the air. I felt my stomach drop. The outline of her fingers were long and knife-like, and she began to glide down one step at a time toward me. It didn't even look like she was shifting her weight from one foot to another down the steps. She just slid. Panicking, I thought to wake my parents. I calmly backed into their door and felt for the handle behind me. Locked. I started to breathe heavier. The main room handbells had a faint tinkle inside their casing. I looked into the main room for a moment and then turned back to the glass door. The woman was right there peering at me through the lace in the glass. She was no woman. Its face seemed to consume any light, darkening it. Her skin was a peeling gray that looked like scaled leather. But her eyes are what made me scream. I could try to describe for you what emotion was on her face, but all I can tell you is that this was no human emotion, not hunger of an animal or twisted humor. This look in her eyes, it was a face of evil. 
I screamed and desperately banged on my parents' door. I felt around the walls. It was unfamiliar territory for a light switch. You'd think it'd be easy to find, but not in these old renovated houses. They fit the electric wiring where they can get it in. In a mere few seconds, both my parents came out of their room in full pajama wear, and even some of the little kids from the sleeping party in the living room had wandered over to me. I was crying so hard. My mother dove down and held me in her arms. My dad turned on his bedroom light, looking down at me. I didn't want to scare the kids by telling them I'd seen a ghost or a demon in the house. So I told the kids I was crying because I was sad, but Nanny and Papa would help me feel better. It was a weak excuse, but bless them, they each took a turn giving me a small hug before returning to bed and told me they loved me. I went into my parents' room, sat on their bed, and confided in them what I'd seen. They both had a weary look on their face. While I'd done stuff like this with the mummy when I was very little, I outgrew waking nightmares. Being a religious household ourselves, we made sure to kneel down for a prayer to cast away any bad spirits lingering in the home that we rented that night. No wonder the owner doesn't live there, and groundskeeper doesn't spend the night. Also note the cheap fare it took to stay there. Should have seen that coming, I guess. Thanks for listening, and I hope all of you stay safe. That story was dedicated for Brandon out in New Zealand who had requested a story about demons. I thank you all for joining me today. I love hearing from you guys, and I will continue to do Copper Shock whenever I can. Uh, please forgive me. I know I had a bit of a cold today. <laughs> you could hear it in my voice cracking and... Ah! <laughs> Anyway, thank you all, and I will see you soon.